the MLB Network and our draft. This is an exciting night for players, parents, families, and coaches. And it's also a significant night for our game, our executives, and our scouts. I want to thank the Hall of Famers, World Series champions, and other accomplished figures who are here tonight representing our 30 clubs. I especially the 2020 MLB Draft is set to get underway June 10th. And I think the general consensus is, is, is that this year's draft is going gonna, is gonna to suck. And, that, and that's not because of the quality of players. There's still tons of talent out there that MLB teams are going to be looking to scoop up. What bites is the fact that the draft has been cut from 40 rounds to five rounds. So if you do the math there, there's that's 35 less rounds. There's 30 teams. So we're talking well over a thousand players who are not going to get that opportunity to have their names called. My guest for this edition of the 123 Inning College Baseball Podcast is a player who absolutely positively certainly would have received a phone call from a team on draft day. However, now it's kind of a big... Maybe? Jimmy Endersby went from a complete unknown to a potential top five round draft pick in less than a year. He's a redshirt junior pitcher who threw this past season for the Concordia University Irvine Eagles. Now, that's not the UC Irvine Anteaters who advanced to Omaha in the College World Series back in 2007 and 2014. That's a different school. Concordia is a Division II school which plays in the Pac West. And up until about five years ago, they're in the NAIA. But anyways, let's get back to Jimmy. Now, Jimmy started his career, his college career, playing at Cal State Fullerton. So, you know, just from that point, you know that the kid was talented because anyone who plays at Cal State Fullerton is an elite player. Okay, so, but that's also the problem. So, Jimmy walked onto campus at, the, at, the, at Fullerton and the roster's stacked. They got players here, they got players there, they got players everywhere. And they're like, Jimmy, we don't, we don't see fitting in to, to a position in the immediate future. Maybe, maybe can you pitch a little? And Jimmy, being you know super cool and just wanting to play a ball, is like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So he becomes a pitcher. And his outings were a mixed bag. Had some good appearances, had some bad appearances. And he just never really found a role on the roster. So he transferred to Concordia. And now he's listed amongst the top 200 prospects for this year's Major League Draft by Perfect Game. 160th to be exact. And at this point, it's probably best just to go ahead and let Jimmy tell you his story for himself. So here's my interview with Jimmy Endersby, Concordia pitcher on the one 2 3 College Baseball Podcast. Okay, well, thank you so much for calling. For giving me this opportunity. I appreciate it. I am a fan of college baseball, and I really have an appreciation for... Oh, hey, look who's here. It's my son, Embry. How are you? Mm-hmm. All right, goodbye. All right. I have an appreciation for small schools, the Division II, the NAIAs, and the and Division Three teams. I like the underdogs. I appreciate the grittiness. I think there's a level of purity that comes with that underappreciated level of a baseball. And I know I'm romanticizing it a bit, but I just think it's extra awesome when someone rises up from those ranks and makes it big. And that's where you come in. I was going through the list that Perfect Game had put out of the top 400 prospects for their this year's draft. And I'm zipping through the numbers and I am have my eye looking out for, for some small school guys. And as I'm reading through all the players and the teams, one of the names that jumps out at me is yours. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you made the list. You're listed 160th, which, which sounds like a big number. But, I mean, 160, 
of when you're talking to the top amateur players in the game, that's pretty darn good. I mean, if you do the math, you take 160, divide that by 30 for each of, for, you know, one, for each of the major league teams. That computes to you being picked you know, somewhere in the first five rounds, potentially. And I usually have my finger on the pulse pretty good of what's going on in Division Two, especially with, with some of the, the top players. And I don't, I don't mean this to sound rude or disrespectful, but I never heard of you. So then I started checking out your background, and you really are a... Oh, wow. there's my son again. Sorry about that. Uh, you really are a like a rags to riches story. And I reached out to a scout and asked him about you, and it, the heat is real. Did you know that you were creating such a buzz and were on the precipice of potentially being drafted this year? Uh, right. If you told me three years ago, I was number 106 on the top 400, I would have... Or 160, so close, but yeah, sure. 160, sorry, I'm sorry. 160, I probably wouldn't, uh, probably wouldn't believe you. I didn't, uh, I didn't see this coming three years ago. Um, if you told me that was a possibility in the fall, uh, in 2019, or I would have... I would have told you that I think you're pretty close. So there's a there's a time there's a time span that I didn't believe that I would be in the situation that I'm in right now. Okay, yes, good. I'm not crazy then. And that and then I looked up your stats from this year. And I was like, holy smokes, because because the season was so short, I never really got a chance to 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 look at you guys. I knew the team had started well, but I didn't know you were putting up the numbers that you had done. Yeah, we were hot this year. Your name was new to me. And so I started going back through and I'm doing some research and I'm saying, who is this guy? And as I'm looking through, man, of course, as I'm talking here and recording things, my, now my garage door is opening. Anyways, I have four kids, so they might be interrupting. No worries. Anyhow, I look through it. So like in high school, and as you'd mentioned three years ago, you weren't even a pitcher. Yep. So, and that's what I'm looking through, and I'm I'm reading up on you, and uh, I think one of the first things I saw kind of lists you. It says you were the starting second baseman, and it says you were a slick fielder and a dependable execution guy, which I'm guessing is a nice way of saying a guy who can bunt well and isn't afraid to lean into a pitch. Yeah. But then the next year, stories that I read said you're a middle of the order run producer, and you set your school season record for RBI. And I see some videos of you crushing it in the batting cage and doing some running and fielding. And I'm like, okay, now I, now I see why this guy's a prospect. But in college, you completely gave up playing the field. You've, you've exclusively been a pitcher. Right. So what caused that transformation? So uh, it all began that um, around sophomore year, I'll, I'll go all the way from where you were saying, the executioner, I was a sophomore in high school and I was on varsity and I was one of the smallest kids on the team. I was a starting second baseman and I was the number two hitter and I was, my job was to bunt the dude over. Our leadoff guy always got on. And I, <laughs> I knew it. Um, that that <laughs> year, I led the country, or I, not the country, led the state in uh, most completed plays. I had the least amount of errors in California at second base. My coaches came up to me that summer, and were like, "Hey, man, like you, we we see something in you. We just need to put weight on you." I, I was a scrawny little kid. I always have been. And uh, junior year comes around, and yeah, I broke a couple records. I, I found a groove. I found what was comfortable for me. I hit the weight room finally. Uh, senior year came by, and I got an offer or scholarship to go to Cal State Fullerton. It was a dream come true. Uh, every kid that grows up in Orange County dreams to go to Cal State Fullerton. Uh, that's just sure. And uh, I got there in the fall, and almost right away, Coach Vanderhoek told me, uh, we, don't, we can't see you playing the outfield this year. Um, I would say I was an average hitter. I wasn't anyone special. 
uh, with the bat. And um, especially when you go into a, a a heavy D1 like that where everyone's competitive and everyone obviously is there for a reason, um, I just got beat out, I would say. And he came up to me and said, hey, let's see you on the, on the mound. Because I pitched in high school, but it was all for fun, you know. Freshman year, around October, which is early in the fall, um, I became a pitcher. And uh, ever since then, I've only pitched. And I, I at first, well, I'll tell you what, I, I hated it. I did not like pitching. I wasn't a fan of it. I wanted to hit. I wanted to play center field and run. But uh, after pitching, you can you can dominate. And you can dominate. You can get more success out of pitching than you can pitching. I realized that I should start loving it, and I actually did fall in love with pitching. That's where I'm at now. All right. You got squeezed out of your position on the field, so you started pitching. But Fullerton obviously has a stack pile of arms on staff, so innings are hard to come by. So I reckon that's what got you kind of thinking it might benefit you to move somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, so after my freshman, my freshman year, I was a redshirt. I didn't pitch at all, but I was lucky to have a pitch coach like Hawksworth, who I still try to talk to today. Um, I thank him for everything he's done, and I'm happy that I, I got to experience a full year with him especially because I was so green to pitching. Um, my sophomore year, I was uh, I finally got a role. My sophomore year, I was one of the first guys out of the pen, which is a big role, especially as a sophomore. I remember coming out of the pen against Friday on Friday night against Stanford, and I was like, wow, this actually just happened. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, and then I got a role, and then I, I had command issues, unfortunately, and I only got about 10 innings that year. Oh, quick 10 innings. I think it was like the first 10 Fridays or something like that. And then I just didn't pitch after that. I didn't, I didn't get one inning in conference. Yeah, and then junior year came around, and I didn't have a, a established role, I would say. I was just the guy that if you needed an inning or two, I would call my name. That, that was my role my junior year, unfortunately. I'm looking at the numbers now. It looks like in 2018, let's say you threw 10 innings, and then 2019 last year, six appearances and just over six innings. And I can imagine it would be very difficult to try to get some innings when you're new to pitching and you're on a staff like Cal State Fullerton's. Oh, yeah. So at what point do you think, mm, maybe it'd be in my best interest if I look somewhere else to play college baseball? Yeah. Yeah. So this is like in the middle of my junior year, I realized that I want to pursue baseball and I want to hopefully sign a special contract one day. Um, I knew I had the ability. I just didn't know what I, I didn't, I didn't know what I had in the future. I didn't know what school I was going to go to. Um, I went to my mom. I was like, Mom, I think it's best if I uh, transfer out for my best interest. And this is middle of the season. Oh, wow. I remember. Um, I talked to Hookie, or Coach Vanderhook. I talked to Hookie, and we had a we had a good conversation. He thought it was best as well if I if I left the school. Um, so after season, I or actually last weekend of the year, uh, we're at Northridge, and I entered the transfer portal, and I was getting I was getting emails from small schools from all over the country um and and i still remember that i told one of my teammates jake pavlicic um he was the first baseman at fullerton i'm really good friends with him still to this day and he knew he was done with baseball and he knew he was going to go coach and he got this offer to go to concordia and i told him i was transferring and he's like jimmy come with me and i was like I was like, uh, I'm going to weigh out my options, man. Like, I'm okay. I had a couple offers from a couple schools. And one day I sat down and I called, I don't know, uh, this, guy, this guy named George Corleo. 
I don't know if Turgeon told you about him. Um, he he helped me find my decision. He he weighed out all the options. We had about we played phone tag for about a week. Hey man, what do you think about this? He did his research on all schools, and he's like, listen man, I think Concordia is the best fit for you. And um, at that point, it was in God's hands, and I believe that I made the best decision of my entire life for anything I've done, and it was to go to Concordia. Um, I met the best group of people. The coaches are amazing. And I, I told Tav, and Tav was stoked. And Tav was actually my coach. He went from my, being my teammate to my coach at Concordia. That's awesome. So he went to Concordia, and he became like a, a graduate assistant coach. Yeah, yeah, he was a graduate assistant. Exactly. And it was, and then I'm sorry, you just meant, I mean, and that's, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, it was at Northridge, like I said, and I entered the portal and Hookie threw me, uh, I think we played Thursday, Friday, Saturday on the last weekend of the year. And I threw Friday and he threw me and he knew I was in the transfer portal. And I think he threw me, um, just out of respect because he knew I, I worked my butt off for that that team and I and I loved every single guy on that team. Awesome. And I threw well. I threw against Northridge and I knew Good. it was the last time Good. I would ever throw in a Titan uniform. It was bittersweet because uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears came out of that uniform and uh, I never regret one day at Fullerton. I will never regret one day. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously it got you to where you are now, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you'd mentioned um, someone that you'd spoke to. I'm sorry, his name's George, is that right? George Carleo. Yeah, he's now yeah. a coach, could you coach at Santa Ana College. Okay, so I had spoken to your current head coach, Coach Tourjean, um, and he mentioned that a big part of your success has been your, your inner circle and the direction and guidance that they've given. So with that, I'm assuming that he's, he's referring to people like Coach Corleo. So how did Coach Corleo come into your orbit, and how has he helped you? Um, George has always been a good uh, – he was a coach of mine, actually, and I've always kept in touch with him. He was a coach of mine when I was a junior in high school. I would say. Uh, with OC Premier, him and Jason Cropsey. Um, George has always stuck with me. Uh, we've always been close. We can talk about baseball. We'll talk about family. And actually, my sophomore year uh, at Fullerton, my sophomore year, I wanted to transfer. And he was the first guy I called. He said, Jimmy, like, do, do what you think is best. He gave me every uh, – he told me every scenario or situation, what I should do, what I could do. Um, he said, but at the end of the day, man, you just go out there and you do what you do best. And all you, and that's all you can leave at the, on the field. Um, talked to my mom. My mom said stay. So I stayed for another year, my sophomore year, going into my junior year. After my junior year, I called him again and I just always kept in touch with him and I always trusted his word. I think that's what I would firmly believe is I trusted his word and everything he said. And he told me to go to Concordia and it all shaked out the correct way. You'd mentioned in high school you were smaller, and what I'm seeing and understanding now is that a big part of the reason that you're able to turn heads these days is because you've uh, you kind of were a late bloomer physically, and in, in addition to that, it's something that you've kind of embraced, and you're you're a bit of a gym rat. Small con contribution to increasing of velocity. Um, I've always been a I wouldn't say a gym rat, but I've always been a fan of the weight room. I've always been uh, determined in the weight room, I would say, um, since my freshman year of college. Uh, it was always a thing for me. It was always something I was good at. And and 
I was I was 88, 90, 91 maybe at Fullerton. And then after my junior year, when I realized that I should transfer out, I went to a facility and I worked with this. I worked with two guys, Casey Jacobson and Evan Wise, um, two very close friends of mine. And those guys realized that I had a strong lower half or foundation. And they were like, listen, man, you already have a strong enough arm. We're not going to mess with your arm. We're going to completely dissect your, your lower half. For about six weeks, we we did a bunch of lower half drills, learning how to sit in my backside, all that. And six weeks later, I threw a bullpen uh, indoors, and I was 92 to 93. Never, never have thrown a ball that hard in my life, consistently. And I'm like, wow. And Casey, Casey <laughs> now with the – uh, I believe he's the player development for the Cubs, minor league player development. One of my good friends, um, he was like, dude, I can't wait to wear cleats on dirt. Because indoor, you, you you throw on rubber or turf. Sure, you don't have that push. Right. You don't have that. Uh, you don't. Ha- you can't stick as fast as you want on dirt because you might slip on inside or indoor mound. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't wait for you to go outside and throw on, on, throw on dirt. And, and in the fall... In the fall, it was, what, 92, 95? There were days I was 93, 95. And it changed my life. It changed my life. We still have a bet to this day, Casey and I. Um, uh, it's a bet that if I hit 97, I have to get a tattoo. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, still have, I still haven't touched 97, so that tattoo isn't on my skin yet, but that's, that's, that's the running bet right now. So who picks out the tattoo? Uh, I, I did. I did. I, it, I called him Yoda for some reason. Every day I would call him Yoda because he was just, he always had the right thing to say. And so I told him that I would get a tattoo on the bottom of my foot of Yoda with his face on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I yeah. I don't, kind of I don't, Oh, that's a, that was a bad, that was a bad decision on your part. Yeah. I'm very reluctant on hitting 97. <laughs> so how, T- tell me attainable. I didn't think it was attainable. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you get, I guess. Be careful what you wish for. So, t- tell me about Casey and Evan. How? What? What's their background? Uh, Evan Wise is a uh, picture lab coordinator at Wake Forest. Um, I guess Wake Forest has one of the most beautiful facilities in college baseball for pitching. Um, bunch of bunch of gadgets, technology. Um, you're a pitcher, I'd probably want to go to Wake Forest now because of all that. Evan Wise came up to me when I was at the facility, and he's like, Jimmy, do you realize that you have the third highest vertical break in the country in college baseball? And vertical break, if you want me to give the denotative meaning, is basically the the perception of the baseball and how it vertically breaks from from the hand of the pitcher to the plate. So what the hitter sees, I average about 18 inches of vertical break, so it looks like as a hitter that my my fastball is literally the rising. Verlander, Verlander has 19, 20 inches of vertical break, and the average MLB vertical break is 14 or 15 inches, and I throw almost every fastball at 18 plus. And so he came up to me and he was like, dude, why aren't you throwing your fastball at the top of the zone every time? That 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 completely changed my whole perception on the strike zone and I believe that is exactly why uh, my command has gone a lot better. Um, I've gotten a feel for the strike zone. I've gotten a feel for my body. Um, Casey Jacobson on the other hand, um, 
He's from uh, Minnesota. I believe he coached at a small school as well in Minnesota. And he got the job at the facility for that summer that I came to. And luckily, it was all in God's hands. I ran into these two guys, and they've changed my life. I can never thank them enough. It almost seems like fate brought you guys together. God's plan. It was God's plan. Um, I had met Casey after my after my time at the facility was over, and after the time his time at the facility was over, and I had to go to school. He went to driveline for a few months, and now he's with the Cubs, and I'm very proud of him. Between what you have been doing in the weight room and some of the feedback that you've gotten from them, it's obviously paid off. I mean, your numbers this year were phenomenal. You pitched in five games, and two of them were complete games, which I find incredibly remarkable. In, in those two games, you threw more innings than you had the prior two years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, all, and all your numbers were, were, were crazy good. I mean, they're, they're the kind of numbers where, I mean, I don't care if it's Division One, Division Two, Division Three, any numbers, when you're, have, you know, when you're making people miss like you met, that have been missing you, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and I've talked to a couple people, and they say, Jimmy, 96 in D2 is 96 in the D1. The radar gun doesn't change. Yeah, you're, you're darn tootin'. So that's, I will never, I will never talk bad about D2 because I've gone hit around. And the dudes I face in the D2 all can play D1. And so, um, oh, sure. Especially in California. Especially in California. Especially in Southern California, to be exact. Um, maybe it's just right place, right time, and one guy got seen and the other guy didn't. So, in regards to being seen yourself, do you feel that your resume is essentially as good as it's going to get? I don't want to say it like that. Do you feel like you have nothing else to prove and that you're ready for this draft to take place? And even if you don't get picked, in the first five rounds, that you're ready to play professional baseball? Um, there's a lot of factors. We don't know. The The draft is very unpredictable and very uncertain of what's going to happen on June 10th and June 11th. Um, the, the the free agent sign has definitely been in, been talked about. Yeah, we're just, right now, we're preparing for, we're preparing with scenarios in the top five rounds, and um, we're going to go with the flow. If, if I don't get my name called, then we're going to just turn the page and get ready for what's next. But we are we are preparing for both situations that arise that could actually arise. It's it's pretty realistic in both ways. You know, another thing I find somewhat interesting, and I don't know if this even makes a difference. You know, they talk about so much about young kids these days throwing curveballs early and wrecking their arms and saving it. You might seem to have some extra strength in your arms since you didn't become a pitcher until late. Yeah, yeah. I just filled out a questionnaire for a major league team yesterday. And- it, one of the questions were like, how how much wear and tear has has your arm had? And it was an easy question for me because there's not much, you know. I think I had uh, 27 innings. At, I don't know off the top of my head at Concordia, 27 innings with the 16.2 at at Fullerton. So I have very minimal amount of innings with my arm. And uh, yeah, there's. There's not many bullets wasted. In- <laughs> sure, sure. So I was going through your Twitter feed, and I noticed that you seem to absolutely love Marcus Stroman and Mike Trout. <laughs> now, Mike Trout I get. Mike Trout I get because you're, you're from that area. Uh, what is it about Stro that, that seems to appeal to you? That's funny. Uh, yeah, so um, I just find Marcus Stroman very appealing. 
the way he carries himself on the field. He doesn't he doesn't uh he doesn't believe in conformity. He believes that uh he he's himself and he can be himself and doesn't care about what anyone else thinks about um about him and I I I try to I try to carry that on the field but as well that's that's not me. If you knew me personally I don't I don't try to showboat by any means and that's just how he plays. Um you should see you probably know how he is he strikes someone out, he taunts them, he does his little dances. Um I won't do that but I like that 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 bulldog mentality that he carries on the mound. Um he says people doubted him. I could see why. Um he's not the tallest in the big leagues. Usually you need to have some sort of height or weight and be athletically given, God given. Yeah, yeah, he's like five seven or something like that, right? He's a short man and he throws hard and and I'm gonna tip my captain in because he's one of my my role models because he he has that bulldog mentality and I and I try to emulate that as much as I can when I'm on the mound. Now, even though you're pitching now, do you still practice? Do you still do you still get in the cage and take swings? No, no. But but uh, whenever there's a pitcher's BP, I take full advantage of it. I will take full advantage of it. Uh, at uh, at Concordia, it was a rule that if you if the team through a or the pitcher through a complete shutout, complete game shutout, we would have pitchers VP within the week. That that coming week, that was that was our goal. That was the reason why we had to shut out the team. <laughs> and uh, I think we had two, a couple shutouts, and um, we we look forward to those those VPs. Those pitcher VPs are fun. Oh, I don't doubt it. I had a bet with uh with one of the position guys that. Oh, you need to stop with the bets. I had a bet with him, and I was like, dude, I bet I get a homer <laughs> in the ten swings that I have. And he's like, no chance. And uh, my third swing, I hit one over the scoreboard. I never got that money, and I won't ask for it. But yeah, that's a that's. I, I had faith in myself with the bat still. So, would you rather bat against Marcus Stroman or pitch to Mike Trout? Oh wow! Wow. Uh, I'd rather hit against Marcus Stroman. I'm not. I don't. Uh, I'm not up for that challenge against Mike Trout. He, <laughs> he'd embarrass me. Sure, but well, I, I don't blame you. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. This has been it's been real fun. I really enjoy hearing these under the radar stories where where someone excels and and shows that you don't have to go to a Division One school or play in the SEC or the ACC or the Pac-12 in order to get recognized. Wise Evan Wise, the guy that's at Wake Forest, he. I asked him, I was like, man, I hadn't made my decision yet to where I w- wanted to go. This was already at the facility. And he's like, Jimmy, you're in Southern California. If you're good, they're going to find you. They don't care what what school you go to. Small school, big school, he said they're going to find you. And that they did. Um, it was like inner squad number four. And there was two scouts there. And I, I was pitching. And I was like, what the heck's going on? I thought they were there for guys on my team because they were <laughs> raking and we had dudes yeah. on the team, and after the inner squad, my uh, pals, he was one of the graduates was there, the guy that took me over there. He's like, dude, they were there for you. Then the next next Saturday, it was four teams. Next Saturday, six teams. Next Saturday, we got up to like 14 teams one day. And Concordia was, we're, we're re, remodeling our whole field. So we had no stands in the, no stands. There was literally home plate, and then we put a net, like a screen up, and then a bunch of chairs. So think about like all these scouts just compacted like sardines behind this net right behind home plate. 
but we got it done. We got it done. And, and you said it yourself, and I've heard it, I've talked to some other, some big leaguers who have made it, and they said, like, I went to the school, which was the right decision for me, you know, that gave me the opportunity to play. Um, one of, something that motivated me was Kevin Pillar. I don't know if you know his story. Yeah, absolutely. Played at Dominguez Hills. Dominguez Hills and signed for $1,000. Yeah. And so, look who he is now. Yeah, yeah. Center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. It's a pretty good gig. Jimmy, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. And uh, I'm, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that you get your name called in the draft. But it sounds like whatever happens, it's uh, whatever happens is meant to be. So I'm sure it's all going to work out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I uh, appreciate it. And I hope, I hope we can keep in touch. This is fun. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Jimmy Endersby for taking some time to talk to me. And thanks to his head coach, Joe Turgeon. I spoke to him a little bit before talking to Jimmy and I wish I would have had that recorded because I got a lot of good stuff to say. And of course, thank you for listening. This has been the one, two, three inning college baseball broadcast. Did I say broadcast or podcast? I, I, I think I said broadcast. It's a podcast. There's a high drive to center. Goodbye.